was watching the news about six years ago. It is called, I've watched the news since then, but I was watching the news six years ago. It's called the news, although it's really what most news is nowadays. It's, a, it's an opinion show about things that have happened in our world. And a news story came up about our very own Dr. Ben Carson. And so my ears perked up and Dr. Carson actually knows I'm telling this story. Hello, Dr. Carson and Candy. They watch every week, so I know that they're watching. But I, I, I tuned in my ears a little, a little more. Okay, what is going to be said here? And they showed this video clip of Car- Dr. Carson speaking. And the video clip really didn't make Dr. Carson look too good. In fact, it made him look a bit rough and, and unkind and, and ungracious towards an individual. And I was watching this piece, and, and it sounded like something I had heard before, but, but I was thinking, I, I think I heard Dr. Carson say that, but he, he didn't say that. Now, now, here's what I want you to understand. This is just a side piece for all of you. These opinion shows, they, the propagation of these news shows is dependent upon an uninformed audience, just so you know. Because I don't know if you know this, we all like to hear our own opinions given back to us. And so one side gives us this opinion, which fits with our opinion, and the other side gives us this opinion, which fits with our opinion. And, and this show had, a, had, a, had a, this video clip that, that, that really painted kind of a rough picture of Dr. Carson. But here's what that knows news people didn't know, but you guys do know. Your pastor loves watching C-SPAN, as I know everyone else does. Riveting television, excitement, action, C-SPAN. Anyone else? No? No one else? And so I said to myself, well, I've heard this show before. I've heard him say this before, but he didn't say this. So I went back to cspan.org and I, and I, I looked in their archives to the congressional hearing that I had heard this, this, some of these words in and, and I found it and I kind of brushed through it and I thought, okay, I think he said this around here and, and I found it, sure enough. And what this new show had done was they had taken one sentence that he had said And then there was almost a five-minute gap, and they had spliced it together with other things he had said later. And when you took out that five-minute gap, it it painted a totally different picture. But when you put those things in their right context, when you added the five minutes back in, it actually was a, I would even say, a nice thing he had said and somewhat gracious. Now, both sides do this. But it's dangerous, it's dangerous when we don't look at things fully in their context, when we don't look at things in their context. Here's how I know it's dangerous. A friend of mine, uh, because this video clip was being passed around the internet as these types of things do, and a friend of mine reached out to me knowing that I know Dr. Carson and said, hey, Chad, what's up with uh, this member of yours? And so I, I took the video clip because you can actually take pieces of C-SPAN and clip them out and share them with others so that they can enjoy the exciting information as well. And so, so I took this video clip and, I sent it, and he wrote back to me and said, wow, that's a lot different. I said, exactly. When you add in that extra time, it changes everything. Context matters. 
And sometimes when we jump through the Bible or we read through things quickly that we don't think are important, we, we miss some pictures of who Jesus is. We, we miss really what the Bible is trying to convey to us about Jesus's heart and his love and his grace and his mercy. And so I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke chapter 19. And we are on our road to Easter. This is part two of our sermon series, The Road to Easter. Last week, we, were, we looked at the, the, the Jesus on the road in the triumphal entry uh, the, uh, into Jerusalem. And, and on that triumphal entry, there was actually a, a pause. There was a pause. But, but what we often do, because in Matthew, we don't see the pause, uh, we often just kind of rush through that pause straight into Jesus trashing the temple, or as we see it, trashing the temple for the second time. Luke chapter 19 and verse 45 is what we often jump to. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. So we see Jesus, triumphant king, going into Jerusalem, and then he goes into the temple and he's, and he's trashing everything. Now, I want you to imagine how this story, even with Luke's version, which we'll get to in just a second. But I want you to imagine how this story would be portrayed in our modern uh, uh, news cycle context. On one side, you've had, you would have a headline read, today Jesus entered in Jerusalem, rallied his base into a frenzy, and then showed his true colors by vandalizing the temple. On the other side, on the other side, the headline would read, Jesus today showed his real toughness and began to clean out the swamp that is Jerusalem. You'd, you'd have one of these two opinions on either side. But Luke adds a story that is often missed, and it's not just missed by fake headlines, it's sometimes missed when we read the Bible as well. And in missing that, we don't see the full picture of what Jesus was doing in that temple. And in so doing, sometimes we use Jesus' actions in the temple to justify our own actions. We lose sight of Jesus' grace and we use it to justify our lack of grace. You might have run across something uh, similar to what I'm about to share with you uh, on social media or maybe you've even said it in your own life. Maybe you've even posted it in your own life. But this is an actual a quote from social media. And you might have heard even people use this to justify some of their actions. Sorry if this comment about blank, I won't tell you who the blank was, but sorry if this comment about blank doesn't sound nice, and they have nice in quotes. Jesus wasn't exactly nice either when he kicked people out of the temple and threw around the tables. In other words, I have just as much right to be ungracious because look, Jesus was ungracious. He was unkind. He was angry and mad. He can do what he wants. And if he was angry and mad, can do what he wants. So can I. But was this moment of Jesus going in the temple and not a moment of Jesus not being nicer? Was, was there something deeper there? Well, if we splice together the video of Jesus, we'll see a different picture. But if we look at the whole context of Luke, we'll, we'll see a heart that is very different than what is trying to be portrayed by that gentleman who claims Jesus wasn't being nice. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. 
We didn't pause when we were talking about the triumphal entry last week, but, but what Luke shows us is in the midst of this, this celebration, when everyone's cheering and celebrating Jesus and when they're, they're laying their jackets down on the ground before him, when they're laying down the palm branches and they're, they're singing Hosanna to the son of David and they're, they're celebrating, in the midst of this, there is a pause on this road and the pause is for the tears of Jesus. This pause is for the tears of Jesus. Now, now it's a shocking moment to everybody else. Others have described the scene better than, my, than myself. Albert, Alfred Edersheim said this, the road descends a slight declivity and the glimpse of the city is again withdrawn behind the intervening ridge of Olivet. A few moments and the path mounts again. It climbs a rugged ascent. It reaches a ledge of smooth rock and in an instant, the whole city bursts into view. The temple tower has risen and now so then must have spread the temple's courts. So then the magnificent city with its background long since vanished away of gardens and, and suburbs on the western plateau behind. Immediately before was the valley of the Kedron, here seen in its greatest depth as it joins the valley of Hamon, and thus giving full effect to the, to the great peculiarity of Jerusalem seen only on its eastern side. Its situation as of a city rising out of a deep abyss. They're behind this mountain. They're shielded from it. And they come up and then just whoo, this glorious city rising out of the deep abyss. One of my favorite uh, drives, I've driven at the right time of day. And, and I know there's a lot of buildings and ugliness around here at times, but, but, but when you're driving down New Hampshire here in the certain time of day, and you crest at one point and you can actually see the dome from miles and miles away of the Capitol, I love that view. It always does like this little stir in my, in my heart, this, this moment. When I'm driving on the beltway and I go around and I come around the bend and there's Jefferson's Memorial and there's the Capitol and there, that, that, that's another little stirring moment. This is even, this, this, just this beauty out of the abyss that comes up. Ellen White wrote about it this way. When the procession reached the brow of the hill and was about to descend into the city, Jesus halted and all the multitude with him. Before them lay Jerusalem, in all its glory, now bathed in the light of the declining sun, the temple attracted the eyes of all. In stately grandeur, it, it towered above all else, seeming to point toward heaven as if directing the people to the only true and living God. Its strength, richness, and magnificence had made it one of the wonders of the world. While the westering sun was tinting and gilding the heavens, its resplendent glory lighted up the pure white marble of the temple walls and sparkled on its gold-capped pillars. From the crest of the hill where Jesus and his followers stood, it had the appearance of a massive structure of snow set with golden pinnacles. At the entrance to the temple was a vine of gold and silver with green leaves and massive clusters of grapes executed by the most skillful of artists. This design represented Israel as a prosperous vine. The gold, the silver, and the living green were combined with rare taste and exquisite workmanship as it twined gracefully about the white and glistening pillars, clinging with shining tendrils to their golden ornaments. It caught the splendor of the setting sun shining as if with glory borrowed from heaven. Jesus gazes upon the scene and the vast multitude hush their shouts. The Hosannas, the son of David's quiet down. And they're spellbound, she writes, by the vision of beauty. And in this moment right now, Jesus weeps.
Jesus weeps. Some of you have, might have modern versions or more modern version that, that said Jesus began to cry. I would just encourage you to cross it out because the word cry is not strong enough here. It's actually a different word. We, we always talk about, when's the other time we talk about when Jesus wept, right? At Lazarus and Jesus wept. But actually these are different Greek words and this one conveys even a deeper agony. Yes, Jesus is sad when people die. Yes, Jesus is sad when, when, when we have struggles. And yes, Jesus is sad when we're hurting. He, he, he empathizes with us. But, but there was a level of, of angst in Jesus' soul in this moment that was far different than, than even that moment. Jesus' eyes fill with tears. I can see him hugging himself and, and like little, poor little Roman, beginning to rock back and forth. When you want to speak, but you know if you speak, you're going to cry, you know how your face gets that ugly moment. The disciples are looking at the city, and then they look at Jesus, and, and why is Jesus looking like this? He doesn't look happy at all. He looks, he looks angry. His face is contorted. And then from his quivering lips, a wail comes forth that reveals the depths of his broken heart revealing, I believe, in that moment, the depths of his love for you and for me and for all of humanity. And then Jesus speaks, verse 42, if you, even you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you, verse 43, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus' words show us what breaks his heart. And what breaks the heart of Jesus is a choice of his people to recognize the only way to have peace that passes all understanding is to choose Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. The only, we see that he's brokenhearted from a people who had evidence after evidence after evidence of, of, of the Messiah coming to dwell amongst them. And yet here is a people that chose to turn away from him the one who can give them eternal life, the one who can give them life and give it to them more abundantly. And because of their choice, they're about to suffer consequences. Because of their choice, they, they have no peace. Because of their choice, they're lacking in hope. Because of their choice, they're gonna receive this destruction. And Jesus is not an angry God. He's not a, a nice God as our brother on the internet wanted to portray who's about to trash the temple. I'm the king, look at me, I'm gonna trash the temple. How dare all of you? No, Jesus is a heartbroken God because they've chosen not to follow him. He is a weeping savior. William Barclay wrote that the tears of Jesus are the tears of God when he sees the needless pain and suffering in which men and women involve themselves through their rebelling against his will. Fred Craddock, the great preacher, wrote, a lament is the voice of love and profound caring, a vision of what could have been and of grief over its loss, of tough hope painfully releasing the object of its hope. Pastor Kent Hughes wrote this, 
Jesus wept terribly over Jerusalem. This was and is the heart of a new kind of king. It is the heart of God. The body was human, but the heart was divine. This is how Jesus Christ and God the Father and the blessed Holy Spirit sorrow over hearts that miss their day and what would bring them peace. The tears of Christ, I love this line, the tears of Christ measure the value of your soul. The tears of Christ measure the value of your soul. This isn't Jesus rallying his base and then vandalizing the temple. This isn't Jesus showing his greatness and how everyone needs to be respect him. This is a sorrowful, brokenhearted Jesus because he loves us so much. And he looks at what, Lee and I didn't even plan the prayer. He looks at what Leah prayed, what we have turned this world and our lives into. And he's just heartbroken. He goes into that temple and he turns everything over and he says, my house was to be a house of prayer, not a, a den of thieves. He's not being unnice. He's not saying, I'm so angry how dumb you all are. He's saying, why could you not have just chosen me? The outside is beautiful. It shines like snow, like with gold intertwined in it. But inside it's dead. There's no prayer in here. There's no love. There's no commitment to what ultimately will bring peace. And Jesus is heartbroken over this. When I, when I read the story and I pause here in Luke 19, as I pause on the road and I see this savior that weeps, it, it reminds me of the beauty of the gospel, of how in every moment, at every step, Jesus loves me and he loves you. And he so desperately wants you to choose, to see the evidence of his love before you and to choose him, the one who can only bring you peace. Ellen White wrote this, the tears of Jesus were not in anticipation of his own suffering. Just before him was Gethsemane, where soon the horror of a great darkness would overshadow him. Nearby was, was Calvary, the scene of his approaching agony. Yet it was not because of these reminders of his cruel death that the Redeemer wept and groaned in anguish of the Spirit. The thought of his own agony did not intimidate that noble, self-sacrificing soul. It was the sight of Jerusalem that pierced the heart of Jesus. Jerusalem that had rejected the Son of God and scorned his love, that refused to be convinced by his mighty miracles and was about to take his life. He saw that she, what she was in her guilt of rejecting her Redeemer and what she might have been had she accepted him who alone could heal her wound. And then there's this great line because it is actually a line of hope. Listen to this line. He had come to save her. How could he now give her up? And there's a question mark. He had come to save her and now he, and how could he now come and give her up? When Jesus goes into that temple and in this moment and when Jesus goes into that temple and then we see throughout the rest of the week, Everything that he's doing is, is another appeal to us. Choose me. 
choose me. It's another, it's another hand being reached out once again. Accept the gift that I have for you. Don't, don't be satisfied with the, the glint and the beauty of your building. Don't be satisfied with the, the outward appearance even of yourself. Choose me and let me truly come into your heart and give you peace and hope. A peace which passes all understanding. A hope with it that is without measure. A faithfulness that, as Leah prayed again and as the scriptures teach us, that, that, that though we are unfaithful, he is faithful. And then Jesus goes all the way to the cross. He goes all the way to the cross. And even then, when he could say, this is it for these folk, he prays this prayer over all of us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says, I recognize your bad choice, and I'm still asking the Father to give you grace and love and mercy. Brothers and sisters, we read through the Bible. Jesus comes in, triumphal entry. Okay, he pauses, he weeps. Yeah, then he goes and trashes the temple. If he can be unnice, I can be unnice. If he can be ungracious, I can be ungracious. That's not what it's saying. Jesus goes in and he's so heartbroken. It's just his emotions coming out there. He's like, look at this. Why are you choosing this stuff when I'm all you need? Why are you choosing this when I'm all you need? And he walks out of there knowing that many of us would continue to make those bad choices. And so he goes to the cross and he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he's resurrected. And he goes to heaven and a bunch more people are born who continue to see the evidence of a great and loving God who choose to reject him, who continue to make a mess of this world and he, and he steal appeals from heaven. And the scriptures tell us that he says, I ever live to make intercession for you. Sometimes when we cut out pieces, we miss just how loving a savior we have. A savior who is appealing us, appealing to us to choose him, to choose the peace and the love and the hope that only comes from him. And so as we go through Easter, and I've now been through Easter 45 times in my life. I don't remember them all, but I remember a few. I want to in my life, and I pray that you will in your life, pause on this road to Easter. Look out over your city, the city of your life, and ask yourself, what choices have I made? Have I made the choice for the Prince of Peace? Have I made the choice for eternal life? And if you have not, then maybe some weeping is appropriate. And if you have not, then remember this. Jesus continues to appeal to us, to call to us, just today, right now, make that choice for him. Make that choice that, that no longer will you just be beautiful on the outside, but he, that you will allow him to make your heart 
a place of prayer, a place of peace, a place that is reserved for his glory. Lord Jesus, help us to choose you this day, Lord. Help us to choose the glory of our Savior shining in us and through us. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with the pretense. Lord, we need you, Jesus. We need to look upon you and and to be changed by your gift for us. The glorious and the wondrous cross, Lord. Lord, you paused in the midst of this great triumph. You paused in the midst of a great prophetic scene. You paused and wept. And Lord, as we see our Savior weeping, may it be a fresh commitment of our hearts to weep with him over our sin and then to turn to him and thank him for the forgiveness he gives us even in this moment and the power he gives us to make us new. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.